Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. We're in our study for Matthew. And uh, we did Matthew 4 this morning. And I added more to our Matthew 3 page. Uh, in Matthew 3, they uh, they talked about the raiment of John the Baptist. Now, some of these tidbits in history are not essential to know to know the gospel of the kingdom. But for some of you historic historians and history buffs, it will start to connect different things that you hear. You know, like you hear that John in in chapter 3, verse 4, John is wearing camel hair and a leather girdle about his loins. Now, that's significant, especially to Matthew and some of the Jewish communities that he's writing to. Because some of the Jewish communities you're writing to is not in Judea. But they're way outside. They're over in uh, the area of the Parthians. And, and of course in Syria and, and these other places. And so he mentions that John is wearing the raiment of camel hair and a leather girdle about his loins. And we actually see a Greek word there in reference to the leather girdle. Well, who else wore camel hair in those days? And who else wore a leather belt? Well, this raiment made of Bactrian camel hair, which is the two-hump camel, was common in Parthia. Parthia was a hereditary enemy of Rome. But it may be a place that John spent some time. Because we know Essenes were welcome in Parthia. Essenes were welcome in Rome. In uh, Josephus, it writes about how the Romans respected uh, Essenes. Uh, more, you know, they, they would take the word of an Essene without an oath, because Essenes wouldn't take oaths, generally speaking over that of a Sadducee who did take an oath. So that gives you an idea of the, the caliber and character, because character mattered to Romans. But this the idea of wearing camel hair, specifically from a Bactrian camel, which is the two-hump camel, which is more acclimated for, to uh, winter climates and had a curlier hair that you could actually turn into a yarn and weave into a kind of cashmere jacket. Well, they wore heavy jackets and they tied these jackets with a tunic belt. This is common attire in uh, Parthian uh, Kamar. Uh, well, actually in different places, uh, but uh, Wingren, who writes, the distinguishes between the Parthian uh, Kamar, a sword or tunic belt, and uh, Himian, or sacred girdle worn by priests. So there was a actual particular belt that were worn by priests in, in uh, amongst the Parthians. 
And by mentioning this and this gospel going out to those areas of the world, people would see that John the Baptist may be a priest if they also understood things that were also talked about in that and the subsequent chapters. They realized that he was like a Parthian priest, John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist, of course now, who else was from this same area that might be wearing these tunics and belts? Well, the Magi, or Magi, now, we're not talking MAGA Republicans. We're talking the Magi. We're sometimes called the MAGA. And they would wear this camel uh, hair tunic coat that was kind of long and would be wrapped around with a belt and you could actually put a sword in the belt. So that that is tying John the Baptist to the Parthian priesthood simply by mentioning those garbs. And of course, Christians ended up in Parthia. Now, the the other thing that they mentioned in that same verse is this idea of eating locusts and wild honey. And I mentioned it in the recording before. But we have theoretically three hours. I don't know if I'll make three hours. I've only had a couple hours sleep in the last 48 hours. So, uh, but we'll go until I can't make it anymore. But in the Eastern Mediterranean, there's a, a tree that it, it's, it's part of the pea family. Fabaci uh, is the technical name of the family of trees. But a particular tree is the Serotonia uh, siliqua. The, the tree is the carob tree. And it produces an edible pod that they sometimes refer to as a locust bean. It has a kind of a chocolate flavor to it. And you can actually eat the roots of the tree and all this stuff, but sometimes the tree is referred to as, uh, at least the pod is referred to as St. John's bread because you can actually make, you know, a, a porridge or even a bread out of it. Uh, so it's not a bug. It's not a locust in that sense. It's probably this carob bean and, and the food that you can produce with it. And the honey could be bee honey, but it's more likely that it is date honey, which is a kind of a honey they make with dates. Dates are very sugary. And so that very well may be what he was eating. Now, that's going to mean something to somebody else because if he's eating that diet, now it might be recognized in, in Parthia, but it, it could be recognized amongst the Essenes. And because the Essenes would actually travel in all these areas, and sometimes with camels, either one hump or two hump camels, they were getting around and they were spreading the message of the Essenes, which is, you take care of one another through charity. That the altars of clay and stone, they, they, they the Essenes didn't do any animal sacrifice like we see the Pharisees doing. They they didn't believe that anybody piled up rocks, killed sheep, and set them on fire to make God happy. They saw all this as metaphors and allegories, and that's what they taught. Now, there are scenes today that probably don't understand that. But the Essenes back then, that is evidently, if you go back to 
ancient historical documents that are talking about these people, you can get a picture of this. And we quote from them, you know, the the, the quote I was giving you uh, concerning the priest's girdled belt, special girdled belt, the Hemian, which is H-E-M-Y-A-N in, in English letters. I got that from the Encyclopedia of Iranica. Now, if you were to preach the gospel in Iran, which we should be doing, there will be people in Iran that may understand this connection. Because you remember Judea, Israel, these these people that Moses taught the way to, and the people that Jesus was teaching the way to, was for a group that would be priests to all nations. They would take care of people in every nation. And we see that right away in Acts. They're going up and taking care of the Greeks. And they're going and taking care of the Syrians. And they're going to Ephesus. And Ephesus, like I said, is an underwriter for the social welfare systems in 127 different countries. And and they all contributed money and supplies and and, uh, and things to build the temple in Ephesus. Now, the temple in Ephesus it moved numerous times, got because of the fact that the silting of the delta caused them to move. Also, the more prosperous they got, the more the the temple became elaborate. Originally, it was just a wood structure. But again, like I was telling you, originally in Rome. Their altars, they had clay altars, and they had a whole system of priests. They had a whole system of priests up in, uh, in uh, amongst the Teutons and the Germanic tribes. What were they doing? What were these priests doing? Well, most people have a B movie v- vision of this. There's a, a thing called Sobat, uh, that people would bring stuff. Valuable stuff, foods, garments, bedrolls, cloth, blankets that they made from, you know, from different animals that they raised. And they would bring it and give it to the priests. What are the priests going to do with all that stuff? Well, the priests would take care of the needy of their society. They were cultivating the social bonds of the society, like the Teutons, so that... When the Teutons were attacked, thousands of Teutons, 12,000 soldiers would show up to defend the whole nations. Parthians did the same thing. Now, the Parthians had camels, these dromedaries. Well, these, the, uh, the Bactrian camel, the two hump Bactrian camels. And, but they didn't ride them into battle, generally speaking. They were not, they had a cavalry. And they had men on horseback who could fire their bows from horseback. And uh, they could muster an army of thousands overnight uh, without having the heavy bill of having, you know, to pay these army men year round. They didn't have, they they were going to just need them if somebody were to attack them. And of course there's stories of Romans trying to come to attack them and getting wiped out. But they camels were a part of their cavalry, but the camels were way back. 
behind the lines. They were beasts of burden. Uh, you know, a bacterian two-hump camel could carry 600 pounds of supplies. They could carry grain, and they did that. They actually carried extra arrows so that the soldiers carrying the arrows they had, they could go run out with their horses with this steady stride, much like the Mongolian horses, have this steady particular stride where the horse is just moving along in a clip, but it's not lunging uh, like you, you see with a racehorse. But it's moving fast, faster than a man can run. And they could shoot their bows with pinpoint accuracy. But as soon as they were out of arrows, they would circle around and pick up more arrows back there with those bacterian dromedaries. You know, those camels. They're carrying these extra supplies of arrows. But it took a certain amount of coordination. But this was basically a militia. These people would be farming most of the time or, or potters or whatever. But overnight, if there was an army coming and they would find out about it, they would muster the army overnight. And that, of course, they had big gatherings from time to time where people practiced working together. And every single little, you know, people were organized even in the Parthenian uh, camp by the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We see the same in early Rome. It was more like twelves, uh, hundred, uh, what is it, uh, 144s and uh, 144,000. Actually, they had different numbers that they used when they started forming the centurion, but the hearth was often twelve families. But the, the principle was the same. And, and in order for people to all show up, they had to have these social bonds. If the Parthians are reading Matthew, they're going to get this. They're going to understand because they know this whole history. They remember when the Romans attacked them. And, and they remember when they destroyed the Romans. You know, wiped them out. You know, I mean, you, you, you get some of the, you know, Dan Carlin and the history channel and stuff like that, you'll find out how they operated, how, you know, the Romans bivouacked like they do. They didn't, weren't able to build the uh, trenches and fortresses that they built in Gaul because it was more of a desert climate, but they had their their wagons all around and their shields all around. It was a very expensive operation, but uh, they ended up being suckered into chasing <laughs> the Parthians out, you know, when they came, like they they routed them, and of course they got their men out of the camp, and then they cut them off because they could move so rapidly with their cavalry. But uh, understanding that this is all life and death, these people, religion wasn't just some place to go on the weekend and sing songs. That that was absolutely essential that they create the social bonds of a free society in order to do this. And Matthew's writing people all over the known world and Jews in that area and they're going to say, oh yeah, well John the Baptist, he he was a priest here in Parthia. He was well respected and taught. He knew all this stuff. He knew how the temple worked. He knew how it should work. He knew about 
You know, like I, this morning I mentioned the altars of Jehovah Nisi. Most people don't know what the heck that is. But, I mean, it's in the Bible. Moses built it. Called it the, the altars of Jehovah Nisi. And, and no, but nobody, you go and read all the commentaries, nobody knows why did he call it Nisi. Well, evidently those guys don't know enough history. Because there were altars of Nisi. Which was the turtle dove altars. And, and Matthew mentions turtle doves. And, and, and you'll see them mentioned when, when we get up to Matthew and, and they talk about the, uh, uh, leper being healed. We talked about that this morning briefly. Well, if you go to Leviticus 14, you go read that. Or, or better yet, it, it sounds better probably if you, if you just go online and look up Leviticus 14 and listen to somebody else read it. And you're thinking like, what the, on tarnations? You know, if you have a skin disease, you have leprosy, if you have fungus in your house, you, you, you have to kill this bird and, and you have to get cedar wood and you have to put the blood in the water. I mean, sounds like a bunch of hocus pocus. Well, let me give you some hocus pocus. If you if you take a cow that had cowpox and you drain its blood into a bowl and you let it sit so that all the the blood red blood cells go to the bottom and all the the plasma floats to the top or you put it in a centrifuge and do that you could do that it'd go much quicker if you put it in a centrifuge now you take the plasma without the red blood cells. And then you might you might want to treat that a little bit because there could be other stuff in there. But then if you inject that into somebody else, guess what? You're going to be immune to smallpox. Now the Romans knew that way back then. And you might not have to inject it. You might be able to get the same results by simply rubbing the blood from the cow on your skin. You know, you might mix it with water and then rub the blood of the cow on your skin. You might develop immunity to smallpox. Well, the Romans got smallpox and what appears to be smallpox because they went to the east towards the Parthians. And they they fought there and then they came back. When they came back, all of a sudden they had this disease that looks a lot like smallpox. Killed almost half the men of Rome. Of course, if they had found that there was, they probably could have gone to a bacterian camel who had had some form of the smallpox and wore the camel hair and been immune. They could have picked up immunity that way. That's a, that's a, that's a legitimate way. I mean, like people, people who are allergic to cats today, right now, they can go down and buy food, cat food, to give their cats so that their cat they won't be allergic to their cats anymore. So how does that work? Well, what it is, is there's a particular protein in cats that if the chickens are exposed to that protein in cats, so if cats are around those chickens those chickens will develop a a counter-protein 
that will attach itself to the protein that's in the cat. And they will pass that protein down through the yolk of their eggs that they lay. If you get eggs from those chickens, you can now mix that yolk, you know, you can turn it into powder, you know, and everything, and mix it into your recipe for cat food and feed it to your cats. If you have an allergy for to cats, they won't that allergy won't flare up. Because you'll get that protein. Now, your, your cats will get the protein uh, from the egg yolk that was put in there. And the, they it will attach to the in, in the cat so the cat won't be flaring up your allergies as much. It works about 50% of the time. There's a lot of people. But it's a very expensive cat food. But that's actually what's going on. Is exosomes in the body of the cat are mingling with exosomes in the body of the chicken and the chicken is producing something in the egg yolk that will attach itself to that thing which you're allergic to in the cat. <laughs> That's what's going on. It's a symbiotic relation. We do that all the time. But we don't know that it's even going on. So I have very little doubt that there was a way to be immune to smallpox by being around some sort of animal because they weren't getting it. But the Romans, when they came, they didn't have immunity to it. and They all got sick. And and half the Roman men died. And you didn't have to worry about them invading anymore for a while. So that that goes on all the time. But the, the thing that protects you is this is the biological system that God created in you, which is way more complex than anything that anybody else has been exposed to. But anyway, so this crossing borders and crossing over with other people and and, and understanding what these priests are and understanding how the physical body works. I mean, there's going to be plagues. So, and that the reason I mention all this complexity of you know. Uh, being uh, allergic to cats and and counteracting that allergic reaction by exposing your chickens to cats and your chickens will produce a protein in their eggs that if you feed back to the cats will reduce the amount of uh, allergic reaction you have to the cat. Well, if you ate the egg yolk from those chickens... It may reduce your allergy reaction too, because the same thing that's in the yolk is going to attach to those things you're exposed in your allergy. And your body may learn to produce it so that you're less less allergic to the cats, because you ate the chickens and uh, the eggs of the chickens who were exposed to cats. The same as milkmaids didn't get smallpox. But everybody else in town did. If you were buying fresh milk from the milkmaids that wasn't homogenized and pasteurized, you might have been immune to smallpox without an injection. Amazing. Well, there's not much money in that. <laughs> of course, they they don't even want you drinking milk without 
at being homogenized and pasteurized. But the reality is, is that, you know, if, if you do this according to nature, and of course now, you also should do it according to the Holy Spirit, which is going to be a major topic as we go through this. So anyway, let's, let's jump over there to, uh, Matthew 4 before we jump into Matthew 5. Like I say, we have three hours if I can make it to the end. As I was finishing up with Matthew 4 this morning, I, I was quoting, uh, Cicero, who was saying the evil was not in the bread, and the circuses per se, but the willingness of the people to sell their rights as free men to full bellies, for full bellies, and the excitement of the games which would serve to distract them from other human hungers, which bread in circuses can never appease. And of course what he's talking about is the need for these social bonds. Most of the depression... I didn't go into this this morning. I have before. Most of the depression that we see, the bipolar reaction, the the zombie effect of uh, of uh, developing an appetite to bite one another and to take away from your neighbors so that you can have free stuff. All these come from the fact that the social bonds of a free society have been deteriorated, degenerated by a hundred years of free bread and circuses provided to you by the government uh, through social welfare by men who exercise authority. All contrary to Christ. All contrary to Moses. So, if you don't understand the metaphors of, you know, the, the stones being made into bread, which we talked about in the Temptations, if you don't understand the idea of jumping from a precipice and and depending on God to protect you, doing something stupid and say, well, God has promised me protection so he'll protect me. That's tempting God. Because you're not counting the cost, which Jesus will bring up. You have to count the cost. And see, people don't know the cost. They don't know history. They don't know how it all fits together. And then, of course, we also talked about the fact that Augustus Caesar was called the Son of God. And he campaigned in his political platform of a return to the Republic, which he wasn't really going to do, any more than he was really sleeping in that mud hut that he built up there next to the palace. He didn't sleep in that mud hut. He liked to be seen coming out of it. But no, he didn't sleep in the mud hut. But uh, he also wanted to return to family values. Although he himself was a divorcee, which was really rare amongst Romans at the time. Now, by the time we get to Tacitus and even Cicero, it became less and less rare. And when Cicero, or Tacitus, when Tacitus visited the Teutons, he found no divorce. Uh, almost zero divorce. No orphans anywhere. There was no such thing as orphans. There was also no free bread. There was no free bread and there was no circuses. I mean, they had entertainment, but they got together to have the entertainment. I always remember one of the big entertainment things in England during the early days of England when they first invented the strongbow, the longbow, uh, was... uh, Filling of the butts. 
They call it filling of the butts. Well, a butt was a target. And so people got together every month to go target practicing with the longbow. And, and you could tell a longbowman by the size of his right arm. Usually his right arm. I suppose sometimes it could be his left arm. But one arm was bigger than the other because of pulling that bow back. Now the Parthians, they used a recurve bow. Kind of what some people call a compound bow. But anyway, that that's another story. But what about Caesar being the son of God? Well, he was in charge of the religious operation of the social safety net of society that bound the people to society. But because his social safety net was based on forced offerings, there was still some free will offering left in Rome when Augustus took over. But a great deal of the funds that was going to fund the social safety net of free bread and these feasts that they would have where they had free meat and free cheese and free milk and all kinds of things, free wine, free money, all these things were often financed by what they took away from other people. And we've talked about Julius Caesar. should put a link there on that page where you can go read about Julius Caesar because he was the one who really, he made millions and millions of dollars by selling over a million Gauls into slavery. And when he sold them into slavery, Matthew 4 is that this idea of Jesus being the Son of God is going to run completely contrary to what 80-90% of the people in the Roman Empire think about this uh, whole thing with Jesus Christ and what became known as the way and eventually became what was called Christianity. Because Jesus was the Son of God of that system. And over here, Augustus Caesar, Julius Caesar too, uh, Tiberius, all of the Caesars were the Son of God of that system. The difference between the two systems is one operated by faith, hope, and charity, and the other one by force, fear, which ended in you being under fealty, under an authority. You were all bound together in both. One had the bind, the bonds of consent and contracts and debt. And the other one had the bonds of faith, hope, and love for one another. Which ones hold better? One of the favorite movies I love is I Know Where I'm Going. And they tell a story in there about the the rope woven from the the hair of faithful maidens. <laughs> and uh, if it wasn't faithful maidens, maidens, it wouldn't hold. But anyway, so uh, that's important to know the difference between the faithful maiden, which is the bride of Christ, which is another metaphor, and I'm mentioning this here so that we can get used to these metaphors. And, and the other female personage, which is known as the harlot, well, of course, eventually what the dove goddess, the turtle dove goddess of Sumer, was eventually a harlot. I don't know if she started out with free will offerings, but eventually it became public religion, and therefore 
legal charity that she was offering, and therefore she was the harlot. And and she was the whore, because she was doing it for money and, and power. And of course, then your priests get, they become corrupt. And they begin taking money out and putting it in, you know, dummy shell companies. <laughs> and sending it to their nephews and their nieces and their, 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 uh, Members of their family and stashing it away as contributions and, you know, to their campaign. And, and this is why you have grafting corruptions because you don't understand all these little, uh, unique things that were going on in the gospel. They're, and your ministers aren't telling you. you know, I mentioned Billy Graham this morning. Billy Graham never told you this stuff. He just said, all you have to do is come up to the altar and say you love Jesus. And that you accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior. And then you can go back to the men who exercise authority one over the other. And you can get, you can get your parents taken care of. You can get the widows and orphans taken care of. You can get the poor taken care of. All by FDR and his plan. And LBJ and his plan. Church not gonna do that. Billy Graham wasn't gonna do He got you to do altar calls so that you thought you were saved. Because you went up there and said you accepted Jesus. But he didn't tell you what Jesus told you to do. Because he didn't have the doctrines of Jesus. A few. A few things. You know, like don't lie. Don't commit adultery. But you see, if you're going to the turtle dove goddess of Sumer. If you're going to the Ishtar goddess of the public welfare systems. That were a snare and a trap. Because they're based on contracts with the gods of those systems. Here we go again. You're not to make covenants with any gods other than the God in heaven. But if you signed up for the social welfare system of Caesar, you have a contract with Caesar. That you have to pay in what he says you have to pay in. And then he will give you what he says is fair. He will rightly divide the bread from house to house according to his opinion of what is right. But he's already abandoned the Ten Commandments. He's abandoned the ways of Christ. He's abandoned the ways of the Essenes. And he's got you taking oaths that you will pay in and get your benefits back from his system. Entitlements. Of course, when when the Sanhedrin of Christ and the 120 of the upper room and the apostles all came out of the upper room at Pentecost, they went out and started baptizing. Everybody wanted to become a Christian. Everybody who got baptized was cast out of the social welfare system set up by Herod and the Pharisees. No more Benefits, Just like the blind man and the blind man's parents that we read about in John. They knew that if they professed Jesus as the king and got his baptism, they would be cast out of the system they had already joined with rabbinical baptism under Herod. If you go read our article on Herod, you read our article on baptism, you read our article on rabbinical baptism, you read our article on Jehovah Nisi, you read an article on altars of clay and stone, you'll see that these are systems of social welfare. And then, you know, and if you're not 
taking care of one another through free will offerings completely, you're not practicing pure religion. I don't care if you're a Jehovah Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, a Catholic, uh, a Methodist, Lutheran. If you're going to the men who exercise authority one over the other, if you have a contract with them to pay in so that you can get guaranteed benefits back and you want those guaranteed benefits back even though you know that they come by borrowing money against the future of your children, you know they... I mean, if you just watch the news, you know that. They're raising the debts in it because you're going to borrow more money from the future of your children. So you're going to curse your children with more debt because you want those benefits. If you repent, think differently, you're going to come together and start creating a system of mutual benefaction through faith, hope, and charity. That's what Christ was doing. And if you do that, you're on your road to pure religion, the practice of pure religion. And you're on your road away from the covetous practices. And obviously this is going to be a process. John the Baptist started the process before the coming of Jesus Christ. He was making straight the way of the Lord by saying, you got extra code? Share. You know, I mean, I could go, you know, if he wasn't dead, I could go and call up Billy Graham and say, Billy Graham, we've got, we've got a home down here. We got a house down. We actually got three houses down here that we could take over. They're free for to take over. That's, that's what they're suggesting. I don't think we'll be able to do it forever, but we could take it over. And we could turn it into, it already is, fully equipped. I was in it the other day, fully equipped, long care term uh, buildings. I mean, the drugs aren't in there anymore. Perishable things aren't in there. Food is not in there. Everything else is in there. The beds are in there. The uh, blankets are in there. The sheets are in there. The... The the hoists for moving people from shower from bed to shower stall are in there. And there's two buildings that are set up for long term care like that, and a third building that is for assisted living. And of course, we could do any combination of those three, and we could we could start doing that. But it needs to be funded. And I I don't know any magi that is going to come and give me gold. And frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> but I know God can provide such things. We could, the, the government of the world built those and now they've emptied them out. Last patient went out a month or so ago and they're not taking care of, there is no such facilities in county where I live. And we could maybe rent that for a dollar a year. And we just have to take it over. And uh, I, I know I can get people to come who will work there. But what I also know is that we're not going to take any Medicare or Medicaid funds. It has to be self-supporting. Well, we're going to have to tighten our Parthenian leather belts <laughs> in order to do that. Now, my belt's pretty tightened already. I've been fasting since yesterday. And uh, evidently... God chose to keep me awake all night too. And so I, I got a lot of praying and thinking in last night. And we could do this. And that's a, that is actually what Christ was doing when he was developing these followers. 
He was going to catch people in a net. You know, that metaphor of the net. You know, fishers of men. We talked about that this morning in chapter 4. He's going to make these men fishers of men. Well, that's like you putting them in a net. They're already in a net. They're in the net of Caesar. And the net of Herod. And the net of the Pharisees. They've already signed up for public religion. And there were a few guys that hadn't. And the guys he was talking to, like Peter and Andrew, they weren't. They weren't signed up. We've talked about that. We we explained that, show you the language at the time. They They weren't unlearned. They were smart guys. But they they didn't go that way. They're probably connected to Essenes because Essenes did not go that way. Generally speaking, they would not sign up. Evidently, there were some Essene groups who did sign up with the temple that Herod built. And they were referred to as lovers of soft things. And And we know there were some Essene priests in there that Herod was talking to. But we also know that a lot of people walked out of the Sanhedrin before Jesus came on the scene. And a lot of those who walked out were probably the Essenes who were on the Sanhedrin. And probably did not go back. And probably became some of those 70 that Jesus appointed. We don't have a lot of detail in other documents we have. There's at least two lists of the people that... Well, there's lists of the people that were in the 120 in the upper room, and we know that the 70 would be included in that list. But this is the major thing going on, a major shift in society. And Matthew is sending this gospel out to Jews, some of whom are in Parthia. And, you know, I've read a lot of stuff about Parthia, and of course, like most of these civilizations, they had a period of depending totally on militia, totally on a system of social welfare through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And then they occasionally got kings who kind of wanted to sit in the position of imperator. And they started falling into corruption. But we know there were Parthians who became Christians and followed the way of Christ. Which is not the way that we're being taught today is the way of Christ. Because like I said, if we wanted to start up, take over these three buildings that have been semi-offered to us, we don't have any contract, we just did a walkthrough. And if we went and did something like that, what what would it take to make that happen? And that's where we're on the fact-finding. Because we could maybe build something like that, but maybe we should start something like that now. Get our feet wet with it. But we're we're waiting on the Holy Spirit to show us the way. And, and if you want to know more about it, you should be in the network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, the living network, where you can start becoming and training up living stones, which is what we're going to get into here next, to find out who the living stones are. Because, you know, Peter talks about this, First Peter 2, 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Well, that means we need to be practicing pure religion. Not just for those that are in the network, 
for, for all those round about us. Because that's, that's our outreach. You know, even when you read in Revelations 2, 17, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now, would you like to see that manifested in real life? Well, that actually has already taken place, but it will take place again. But in order to get that new name, you have to repent and seek to practice pure religion until it is pure religion and you're taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. What better way to start than to start taking care of other people? And... and that that's a potential, but uh, it's going to take people forming that network and tightening their Parthenian belt <laughs> to make it happen. So anyway, there are no commercial breaks when I'm doing the afternoon show. So <laughs> uh, we can go right into Matthew five. We've we've laid a little groundwork, but this whole idea. You know, 1 Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Well, that's if you abide in Christ and you only abide in Christ if you're keeping His commandments because He tells us that. You know, I mean, if you read on farther in chapter uh, 6, verse 19 What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Yeah, yeah, that that's what he's tell, telling. But he also says, you know, before that, in verse sixteen, he had said, "And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Right? Right? But maybe you have an agreement with idols. Do you have an agreement with idols? Do you have an agreement with another system that does not operate by free will offerings? Do you have an agreement that, that, well, of course, 99% of you do. And now, again, the solution is not jumping off the pinnacle. The solution is repenting and seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And, and that's what we should be doing. And of course now, I'll tell you this heads up, since we're in Matthew 5, which starts with the Sermon on the Mount. That Matthew is not putting things in the chronological order that they happened. He's mixing them up. And I'm not sure what his motivation was, but I'm just giving you a heads up that he's doing this. And... and he, you know, the, the Beatitudes are laid out if you, if you read them in the Hebrew, which he probably wrote in originally. Although, uh, I mean, clearly the only text we have is the Greek text, but he was a Jew. And he may have actually formally wrote it in Greek first, but he, he thought in Hebrew. He understood Hebrew. And so, you can see the effect 
on his pre-knowledge of Hebrew, and certainly his pre-knowledge of Jewish culture, in the writing of the Gospel of Matthew, because otherwise he wouldn't be mentioning all these things. And we're, we're showing you some of the things that are outside of even that Jewish heritage that he slips in for a reason. And there's a lot of things we don't mention because it just gets too, because there's so many layers in this. Matthew's Gospel is an amazing, they're all amazing in their own way. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts off, and seeing the multitude, he went up into the mountain, basically up on the hill, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, so this, this is part of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Now people have fiddled with it. And although I'm going to go through it here, I've done another show on, on, Beatitudes years and years ago, but uh, they call this the Beatitudes, which is an interesting word in itself. The Beatitudes. So you have to, this has to be the attitude that is basically you. I, I mentioned uh, interviewing Best Buy's. I could probably actually pull that up. Best Buy's CEOs and Best Buy's managers uh, forcing their employees to take courses in LBGT uh, philosophy. But they weren't allowed to wear crucifixes or show any or talk about their religion. And one of the arguments that the guy was making is that uh, your religion is a matter of choice. You choose your religion. Uh, but he says being gay is not a choice. That you're, you're automatically, uh, uh, this, uh, you know, homosexual because, uh, that's the way you were born. That's the way you are. Well, obviously it's not the way you're born because there are a lot of people who, uh, become homosexual long after they're born, show no tendencies, and then they have a traumatic event and then they become homosexual. So, no, no, that that is not the case, and there's really very poor evidence of that case. And there's a great deal of evidence, just a preponderance of evidence that usually comes from some sort of traumatic event. But now traumatic events are so common, it's difficult to tell where that traumatic event comes from. But uh, maybe even working at Best Buys becomes a, a traumatic event. But uh, anyway... Uh, the reality is, is that when you have faith and live by faith, you you are compelled by that faith to go a particular way. This is the the only way you're going to keep the commandments is that you turn yourself over by faith to the Holy Spirit, and and then it changes you. So, like you can't. Violate the commandments. You, because you've already made the choice to follow the Holy Spirit. And it now controls your actions. And you're okay with it. But where you made the choice is not in your head, not in your intellect, but in your heart. See, the problem is that we think that we're making choices daily in our heads. Our head is the tree of knowledge. 
You don't really make your choices there. What you do is you decide somewhere, you know, like I'm going to marry this person or I'm, I'm going to go this way or I'm going to move to Idaho or whatever it is. Or I, you, I, we, we should buy this place and live here. And then, often, this is the way it works, is then you start making up intellectual reasons why you should do this. Why you should marry this person. Why you should go this way. Why you should become, you know, a cowboy or an accountant or whatever it is. You, you start rationalizing reasons so that you're convincing yourself. But when you're really moving from the Holy Spirit, you don't need that second process. You just know, I gotta do this. I gotta go this way. I, I can't go any other way. Because you're not following the tree of knowledge. You're following the tree of life, the Holy Spirit. Now, there's nothing wrong with making reasons why, you know, and convincing you're talking yourself or maybe talking your spouse into, now we really ought to do this because, you know, living in the country is so much better for the kids and all this stuff. But maybe you're actually just surrendering, as I see one person say, uh, surrender to, to know the truth. Well, yeah, be careful of those dates. Uh, because Jesus certainly surrendered, but he was still up there on the mountain getting tempted like we talked about this morning. There was an actual temptation there for Christ. He overcame it, but the temptation was there. And he's warning us that we'll be tempted much in the same way. Because there's always levels to the kingdom. But as we pursue it, we're perfected in that pursuit. And we're perf- there are there are climactic points in my life where all of a sudden I said ah, I'm going to go this way but it doesn't mean that it didn't become a hard way to go at other times and there was a chance of falling and failing I mean I mean, Peter's a perfect example of that you know Christ said you know, I, I, he says look Peter I know you think you believe <laughs> and you've, I know you feel like you've made the total commitment but you're going to deny me before the cock crows. And you're going to deny me three times. And I'll pray for you in that. So, that's a real thing. Because God's always bringing us to another level, another challenge. And it's just like our, we're, our children, our own children. Kid learns to walk, you take him out, give him another challenge. He learns to talk, you give him another challenge. He learns to read, you give him another challenge. Otherwise, he's going to stay with Dick and Jane the rest of his life. No, he's, we expand the challenge. God does the same because we're the children of God. So there, there are climactic moments in our life when we make a choice. And that choice becomes a profound choice for us. But then you just keep having that choice again. But what I'm trying to say mostly is the choice is not intellectual. It's spiritual. It's deep down inside of us. And so all the stuff that I'm talking about, the stories and the history and everything, to some degree, that's intellectual. But what I was mostly bringing up this story of the Best Buy and the the, uh, guy who's referring to that is that the LBG, L, 
LGBTQ guy, <laughs> workshop guy, says that, oh no, your religion is a choice. No, it's not. Not like he means. It's not an intellectual choice. It's written in us. It's written in our hearts and our mind that we have to go this way. But that's the promise is that God will write it in our hearts and our minds. But he won't force us to do it. He won't force us to receive that message in our heart and our mind. Because he's a still small voice. We have to do it because we love him. And then once we love him and start going down... There could come times in our life where we say, God, you know, if this cup could pass before me. (laughs) But we ultimately have to go up to the point where we say, not not my will, but thine. But of course, now I'm saying these out loud like words. And again, this the choice to make that decision is deep inside you. But a lot of us don't want to go deep inside us because of all the trauma that's in there now. LGBTQ people have a lot of trauma. Sociopaths have a lot of trauma. People have problems with depression, have a lot of trauma. In seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, practicing forgiveness and charity for people we don't even know can help bring us out of that trauma. But anyway, I wanted to read Romans one twenty five. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, Inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. From these we should turn away. They have no inheritance in the kingdom. But we also, as God is giving us a choice now to pursue the kingdom, to seek the way of Christ, to to learn that, oh no, what they've been telling us is Christianity is not really Christianity. It has some similarities. But it's missing some of the most essential ingredients that Moses insisted upon, the prophets insisted upon, Jesus insisted upon, 
but evidently Billy Graham did not insist upon. Because like I said, if I should be able to call up Billy Graham, so she's dead, and say, you know, that $25 million estate that you have, can you take a million of it and help us open up this clinic? This care? Now, we don't want to just do long-term care. We're not interested in seeing people just die one after another. We're interested in helping their children learn to take care of them, become a part of that. If we say, oh, well, we'll just take the Medicare money and the Medicaid money and we'll just uh, take it, because that's why it shut down, is because it's not enough to keep it open anymore. Now, they did a lot of other things with their own hospital budget, which the hospital is right next door. But uh, the fact is, is they, they're in this position, and there's a lot more of these places that will be in this position because of the fact that Medicaid and Medicare are cutting back. The government's cutting back. And at the same time they're cutting back, inflation is increasing. And they're not, and you're going to find more and more people that they won't take care of. They won't be able to take care of. They won't be able to run their hospitals. And their hospitals will run terribly. Their convalescent homes will run terribly. And, and, and they will be as horrible as anything you could imagine. You know, it will be like the Inquisition. Sometimes it's not far from that now. But it could become a place in which we bear witness at least in our local community, and, and if we're successful, it will it will pass out to other communities. So, however we do it, however we do whatever God tasks put before us, we will do it with our whole heart, mind, and soul. And we want more people to be gathering together to do the same. Because the lessons we learn in this process will prepare us for when the day comes that the unrighteous mammon fails completely. And we will be more suitable for more righteous habitations. And then, then there's the white stone. But we won't get into that. Let's go back to, I don't see any hands raised. So I'm going to run back to uh, Matthew 5 and read this. We'll get into the, knowing all this, we can get right into the, the, the Beatitudes, what they call the Beatitudes. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, this is the doctrines, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the poor in spirit. Why would they be the poor in spirit? Or are they the hungry in spirit? Are they the longing in spirit? Uh, we we will we'll do a study on this in greater detail. But I just want to get through this particular chapter. Blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. Uh, so the. Who is our comforter? Very important to understand. Now, we can look at these words. I have an whole article there on, on comfort, which is the Holy Spirit, our comforter. But mourn, care, sad about. You know, there is no long-term care. And the tax dollars spent millions of dollars building these buildings, expanding the hospital. But now nobody's getting any services. It's kind of like the, it's, it's falling into the, the decay of the Roman Empire. The Colosseum is still standing there, but they don't have events anymore. 
that because they didn't count the cost. They didn't understand the cost of creating legal charity in Rome. That it would it would bankrupt the souls of the people. Now there were some Romans that still had that spirit and they clearly became Christians, which is why Paul is writing Romans who are not Jews, they were Romans, but they are following Christ. And the and they are creating a network that is taking care of all the social welfare of Romans. Those Romans who he was writing were not going to the temples of Rome to get the free bread. They were not getting that anymore. They were creating their own system which was this viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire. And and this is very important to understand that that's what Christ was creating. But he's saying that the those who mourn will be comforted. But he's also talking about those who are following the way. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And of course, Jesus is going to return every man to his possession and every man to his family. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. They want righteousness, not just for themselves. But for others. And for they shall be filled. Because that's what they want. They, they're not going to, you know, I just talked to somebody on the phone and talking about, we're getting my gun and going down the Capitol and tell them that you guys don't own me. No, no, they do own you. I mean, the guy was calling me up trying to find out how to get benefits from the government. To do things for him at taxpayer's expense. That's his neighbor's expense. Of course, now he's been paying for a lot of stuff that his neighbors have been getting for years. But the fact is, none of that is kingdom. None of that is... He doesn't even know what the church is. Now, he's a great guy. Hard-working, generous guy. Caring guy. Very, very aware of a lot of things. But he's got to take it to the next level. He's got to start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not the self-righteousness of shaking your fist at, at a corrupt government that we corrupted by giving it too much power. Number seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So, why do you take care of your parents? So that your days will be long upon the land because your kids will see you taking care of your parents and they'll take care of you when you're that age. Hopefully. And your days will be long upon the land because you made your dad and your mom's days long upon the land because you took care of them before your own children and before your own community. People will see that and they'll say, well, these are good people. Well, my parents already passed, so I should be taking care of somebody else's parents who aren't taking care of But if I really care about the children as well, I need to tell them, you need to take care of your parents too. It's amazing how many people don't hear that. (laughs) But we need to be merciful. Because nobody's been hearing the gospel. Billy Graham didn't teach it. Certainly Franklin Graham isn't teaching it. He's worth $10 million. How many other preachers? You can go down. I can't even think of all their names. But uh, you take anyone that you know, the famous preacher, and you go look up his net worth, and you know, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million dollars. Meanwhile, if anybody's sick in their church, anybody is homeless in their church, 
They send them to the government. The men who exercise authority, one over the other. And Jesus said we were to be that way. How, how can they justify that? They don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear. They also aren't going to hear the Holy Spirit that says, Oh, no, you want to go down this street. Oh, no, no, you want to take this railroad car. Oh, no, 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 you don't want to go that way. You you want to go this way. They're not going to hear that. You know? And, and they're going to suffer the consequences. And they're, they'll wonder, where were you, God? You know, why why is this disastrous thing happening to me? Where's God? Well, were you listening to God before? No. And every one of us have neglected at one point or another in our lives to listen to God. Because why? Because we're not pure of heart. And because we can be tempted easily. Because there's a lot of liars out there lying to us. But, you know, deep down, how many of us thought, eh, there's something wrong here? Well, now we're, when you find out there's something wrong here, then you get to find out there's something wrong over here. So anyway, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the more you see God, the more you hear God, the more you'll know what to do. But you have to always keep taking it to the next level. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. A lot of people are persecuted, but it's not for righteousness. It doesn't count being persecuted for self-righteousness, but persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then, finally, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. And she'll say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. I can tell you this. If we took over that home down there and started doing that, I don't expect that there's a lot of people in our community listening to my broadcast. (laughs) But if we were to do that, there would be a lot of people who wouldn't like it. They would not want to see us as success. But our success is in the moment. We're not, we're not trying to build big huge temples. We're trying to turn dead stones into lively stones. Individuals who are listening to the Holy Spirit and are willing to worship God and sacrifice for God and give to God according to the way He is putting on your heart. And He will challenge you. He will test you. And we will pray for you during those tests. Verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In heaven. Where's heaven? It's all about. You know. And, and that particular word that, you know, that we see there, where he's talking about the, your reward, he's talking about, it's, it's mythos. 
dues paid for work, wages, hire, reward. Well, there's the rewards of unrighteousness. That's the benefits that come from men who exercise authority. And then there's the rewards of God. And the reward of God is to remove confusion. To show you the way. To guide you. And But you have to have the attitude, though he may slay me, I'm going to serve him. Because you really have to love the character of Christ and want it incorporated in you. And Christ didn't come to be saved, but to save others. Even at his own expense, where he laid down his own life. So that he could pick up that life more abundantly. The, the, it's, you know, the people have such a strange view of heaven that I, I find nowhere in the text. But if you, if you cut out this and cut out that and you pick and choose what you're, you're going to be reading or looking at, you're, you're going to be confused. You're not going to understand what the gospel is all about. What, what he's trying to tell you in this this whole story of uh, what is good and what is evil and we which we will only know by following the ways of Christ so in the next section verse 13 ye are salt of the earth but if the salt have lost its savor wherewith shall it be salted it is since for good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden underfoot of men. And of course, that's what's coming up because they think they're running these care homes and actually doing it for care. It's like the exchange student who said something about, uh, it was offered an opportunity to do community service. And he says, yeah, but what do I get out of it? I'm not getting paid. Well, that's why they call it community service. You actually, you're giving to the community. You're helping out the community. If you get paid, you're just helping out yourself. He had no concept of this. You know, and he lives in the land where the Pope lives. (laughs) I thought of it. You used to say, you know, is the Pope Catholic? That's one of those, if somebody asks you, is that true? Is the Pope Catholic? And, you know, now we can't say that anymore because we're not sure if he's Catholic because he seems to be a communist. <laughs> but uh, I thought, well, you know, we could exchange that old saying with, does the Pope sit on a golden throne? Because <laughs> he does. He sits on a golden throne. So anyway, the, if you lose your flavor as Christians, which the Christians were doing, they weren't looking for the free bread of Rome. They were taking care of one another through pure religion. And they've lost their flavor. And they're going to get trodden underfoot. But the good news is that they can repent. So when he's writing here in Matthew, he's writing to people who supposedly already have got to this point of understanding this. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now the word city there is the word polis. And you are the light of the world. That's that's the constitutional order and system of government. That is the system of Rome and the system of uh, the Parthians. You're the light to them to show them that they don't want to go the way of legal charity. They want to go the way of 
real charity. Where you don't make a covenant with the gods of the legal charity system. Because they will force you to give and give and give and give and give. And they will take and take and take and take. And then eventually their system will fail. So in verse 15 we see, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth off light unto all that are in the house. And so we have to take care of people that are not just in the network. With the hope that they come into the network. But we have to do that. We have to... Christ was doing that right away. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Matthew is talking about us doing good works so that the world sees them. This is our outreach. This is our witness. So we have to do that. But we're not saved by works. We will be judged according to our works and we should judge ourselves. Are we really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? See, in 17 he says, Think not that I come to destroy the law of the or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And, and in the in the Greek, there's only one word for law. He's not destroying the law. He's not doing away with the law. He's telling you right there that he's not doing away. Yet other people will read Paul and think that, oh, the law is done away with. Now what he's intending to do is take the kingdom away from the Pharisees so their laws are done away with. Because when you got the baptism of Jesus Christ, they said you were going to be kicked out. If you're kicked out, you don't have to obey their laws. You still have to love one another. You still can't covet your neighbor's goods. You still can't rob and cheat and steal. You have to abide in the commandments of God. And if you love your neighbor, you're not get, that's not going to be an issue, is it? If you have fake love for your neighbor, you'll send the sheriff to your neighbor's house to force him to contribute to your welfare. So, in verse 18, he goes on to say, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth has not passed away. It, it, it's law. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But it's not a tally thing. And it's not a, it's not a difficult thing. If you're letting God write upon your heart and your mind, if you make the choice to surrender to the gospel and doctrines of Jesus Christ, in your heart, I'm just explaining to you what that looks like so you can check. Well, am I doing this? Am I, you know, am I giving and taking care of other people? Well, nobody needs any help, right? Well, people do need help. If we're going to be helping all the people round about, yeah, even if our house is not on fire, we should be contributing to a way in which to take care of the needy for others. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments 
and shall teach men so that it's okay to do. He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And of course there is a hierarchy in the kingdom. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. He who is greatest amongst comes to serve, comes to sacrifice, comes to take care of others. And not just his own needs, his own whims, his own feel-good attitude. Verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed that righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, of Billy Graham and Franklin Graham, (laughs) of Biden and Trump, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the next section here, anger. You have heard that it was said by them of old, thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. And of course the judgment is 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 just that. that uh, the violation of statutes. I mean if you kill as you judge you think it's okay to kill then you may be killed. If you live by the sword you may die by the sword. If you live by lies and fraud you will probably be defrauded. But in verse 22 he goes on to say but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now part of this is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Don't be angry with people because they don't quite get it yet. But start coming together and... and and also we have to note that there's still an altar and he's still giving on that altar. And so he's still contributing, wanting you to contribute to the social safety net of society. But stop judging one another. If we're, we're taking care of people and somebody comes in, we have to forgive whatever they've done before. Now we're there to strengthen them. We may bring it up again. But we can't be saying, well, we're not going to take care of that guy because he divorced his wife back in 1970. We can't make choices like that. We have to do what God wants us to do in a given moment. Say what God wants us to say in a given moment. So in 25, it says, Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to to the officers, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. 
Now this is a little bit along the lines of what he was saying that you were to be friends with the unrighteous mammon. And so he he's he's actually going to be coordinating these concepts together. You know, if you owe the tax, pay the tax, same thing. You know, you have to pay your tally of bricks, but you have to glean in the night for your benefits. So when now when we read verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The same with greed. And if thy, you know, if you want to take from your neighbor, if you desire to have benefits at the expense of your neighbor, and you're willing to send men to his house, even to force him to contribute, you're already committing the sin of coveting. Maybe even robbing. Because we've seen that, especially down in Australia, but I've seen it all over America where your tax collectors are just robbing people. Disallowing what are legitimate claims. And going after them. And then I've also seen, I've got this straight out of the mouth of people who worked for the state IRS, the state tax people. They were chasing a multimillionaire for years, putting together a case that they were about really to bring the hammer down. He was clearly evading taxes in large sums. And they got a call from the governor to stop. Why the governor called? Because he called the governor. One set of rules for them, another set of rules for you. But what did you expect when you abandoned the rules of, of Christ? Of keeping the commandments, of not coveting your neighbor's goods, of not creating contracts where you give these men this power. We should not have been doing that. You have heard that it was said by them of old times, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, there's all kinds of adultery. And of course, idolatry is adultery. Going to the men who exercise authority and signing up for their benefits is national adultery. And and it is also even just to think in these terms as it was presented. And there were people who argued against social welfare through the state. But public school had already started to gain more and more traction. Most public schools even back then were still uh, a great deal of their progress was privately funded. But they had already began to cross that Rubicon. And it changes the way people think. They become accustomed to just make the government pay. These systems are like your right eye is an offense to you. You need to pluck it out. Well, he doesn't really want you to pluck out your eye, but he wants you to start turning it around. And maybe one one thing at a time. And the best thing to do is to start taking care of other people. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. Well, of course, to some degree, this is a metaphor for the other people who are in 
in your network that want to keep going. They don't want to separate themselves from the covetous practices of the world. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Cast it from thee. Really what this comes down to is you're not to be a respecter of persons. You're supposed to be living by these principles of faith, hope, and charity. It, it is, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should be perished and not the whole body. And of course this is what's happened is that every church, you know, a lot of churches resisted this idea of social welfare through the state, but then they began to just accept it. They didn't cast it. And I, I have had preachers standing in my field with me when I'm talking to him about this and he's whispering I can't tell this to my congregation and I'm saying why are you whispering nobody could hear you out here but basically what he's saying is he knew he'd lose people but better you lose some than take everybody to hell because that's where everybody's going and I'm not talking about hell after death. I'm talking about hell right here on earth. We see it in the streets. We see it in the violence. We see it in the breakdown of society. We can still buy food. It costs more, but we can still buy food when you can't get any more food. People say, well, I think in the future we won't be able to afford food. There won't be any food to get. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Well, it's been offending you and you didn't cut it off. And now we've gone down this road, way down this road. And now going back is going to be quite the struggle. So in verse 31 he says, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Because, you know, irreconcilable differences, well, if you have a lot of those, you probably have irreconcilable differences with God. Now, I've allowed people that, you know, allowed I can't stop them anyway, but uh, only getting a legal divorce to protect them from, you know, a spouse that's gone crazy. And it still is an individual choice. But in your heart, you still have to think of yourself as married to that individual. Except for adultery. And even then, this is full of the principles and metaphors. Because it's committing adultery by going to the idols of Rome. And getting your benefits. Which is why the very next verse is he's talking about oaths. Again, you have heard that it, it is, it hath been said by them of old, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great kings, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communications be yea for yea, and nay for nay, and whatsoever uh, is more than 
these committeth cometh of evil. And and that's very important to understand what is coming of evil. What is evil? So you don't have to take oaths and I have a link in there, swear not. It takes you to an article on swear not. This is something James above all else stopped the taking of oaths. Because why you're taking the oath, especially to get benefits from men who exercise authority. Should avoid that. Verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that uh, resist not evil, but whoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Now, you can take this too far one way really quick. If you don't understand really what he's talking about here. Uh, the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth were ceiling limits. You could not take two eyes if somebody cost you one eye. And what, since it doesn't help you see it all if you take an eye from somebody who caused your eye to be lost, you really don't need to take an eye at all. We're talking about the value of the eye. If somebody burns down your garage, he owes you a garage. Now, you can forgive it, but he owes you a grudge. And he's warning you to not get into courts. Well, then partly, you need to understand the courts at that time. And how they were operating. How they were working. But what he's trying to get you away from is what the Pharisees thought. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a license for vengeance. And he's doing the reverse. No, it's not a license for vengeance. You know, it's like our, our our legal system today. If somebody robs a bank, you want to put them into jail for 10 years. How does that get any of the money back from robbing the bank? Why don't you let him work and pay back the money he stole or spent or, or the costs that he created? We can do that today. Certainly, if somebody spends, you know, steals 600 bucks, you don't want to put him in jail for two years and cost the taxpayers $40,000. But yet they do that. But by the same token, if you don't do something about... Of course, now, if you had your militias already, you know, if you have a bunch of stores on the street and somebody comes along and he's robbing the Piggly Wiggly, he's in there, he's going to get $599 worth of groceries out of the Piggly Wiggly and load it up in his cart and just walk right out and put it in his car. Well, if everybody on that street were working together, taking care of one another, you could send out a group text to everybody on the street, somebody's robbing me. And you could go out there and he could not get away with a thing. You just grab up everything he just loaded up in the cart. You grab the cart. You get ten guys out there. You grab the cart. You just take it back. He can try to stop you all he wants. He ain't going to stop ten guys. And you take it back in and you turn it over so that somebody puts it back on the shelf. And you make it clear that this guy is not welcome on this block. He's going to go somewhere else and rob. 
But then maybe they'll learn how to protect their block. And then you can protect three blocks and five blocks and ten blocks. And you can get your cities back. But if you think you're going to get a, a mayor elected and he's going to fix everything. If you think you're going to give all kinds of power to your police force and they're going to fix everything or to your courts. No, no, that's not going to work. So, yeah, and, and, you know, I've done it where I've gone up to people who are coming around panhandling and says, oh, so you're hungry? Well, let me buy you some food. It will go right in here to the restaurant and I'll buy you a meal. No, no, doesn't want it. they don't bother me anymore. <laughs> you looking for work? I can find you work. Oh, no, 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 don't bother me anymore. You know, so, but I'm going to give, but I'm going to give accordingly. And if he comes up and says, can I have 20 bucks for food? I says, well, you need food? Let's go in and we'll get you some food. I know he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want food. He wants 20 bucks. Well, it would be wrong of me to give him 20 bucks or 100 bucks. See, I still have to be wisdom because you don't want to have the sin of Sodom tomorrow where you're weak and the poor. 43, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For ye, he hath, maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? You know, there's that word reward again. Have you, if you just love those who love you, do not even the, the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you, what do ye more than others? Do not even publicans so do. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Because, so, if we were to open the doors to take care of the needy of society, we want to make sure we strengthen them. We want to make sure we strengthen their family. We want to make sure that we strengthen the community. We will call upon the community. We do not want to strengthen the benefactors who exercise authority, one over the other. Because those are the tyrants and despots of tomorrow. Or today. Since we're pretty late in the game. <laughs> so, yeah. This is this is what... This is the spirit. You know, now how it translates out into real action. You will need the Holy Spirit to do that. But if everybody was sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, we'd be well connected. And we would know you. Because I don't want people coming to me... In three years, when things may be all really bad, and saying, well, I used to listen to your radio program. Or I used to always listen to your recordings when they came out. I never joined a congregation. You know, like when I did the first show on Matthew almost a year ago. It was a year ago. Uh, you, 10, 10, 10, I think it was. The 10th of, the 10th month. Uh, in 2022. But now we're, we're up to Matthew 5, which we just got through. But in that, 
uh, either in that one or the recording immediately after, I can't remember, there was somebody in Marin County who bookmarked my site and knew this was important. And we talked and talked and was all very enthusiastic. I don't see him. I don't know where he's at. I, if he's on the California group, he hasn't joined the congregation. If he joins the congregation, even though that congregation may be centered in Los Angeles, and maybe have one member in San Jose and uh, another kind of weak member in uh, Santa Cruz or wherever he is at. I can't think of anyone. And I say weak member, he's just not organizing himself to the tens, hundreds, and thousands, but he is connected better than most. But the guy in Marin County, I don't know, is he even on the groups? If he was in that congregation, forming that congregation of ten, with like Abraham, who was in L.A., at his church at uh, of the Angels. Well, I would know who he is. Because I meet with Abraham every week. That's the, that's the thing is that this is so foreign to us. But as you expand this and, and build this and then people invest in the kingdom by investing in people they don't even know. And I'm not talking large sums. You know, whatever sum God is putting on your heart. But you start building that circulatory system so the blood flows through the network, then that investment will start to create those social bonds. And when you start creating those social bonds, you will be creating bonds with the Father in heaven. A mystical thing will start to take place. But if you just say, well, you know, I listened to the radio program, I read some of the books, uh, you know, I, no, it's not going to be enough. You have to actually worship God by serving one another. Because worship is service. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your service. God doesn't need your prayers. He's okay. But... Practicing pure religion. Taking care of one another. Not just those you know. Not just saluting those you know. Not just loving those you know. But those in a network where you can't know everybody. That's going to make a difference. It's going to start interconnecting all those things. Like when we talked about immunity earlier in the show. How people were immune to smallpox. Because they milked a cow. And the cow had cowpox, which you can't get, at least not really. It's not going to make you sick. You might get a blister or so on your hand or something when it first starts. But what's happening is your body is learning to fight off the smallpox and creating the exosomes to protect your body. It's doing it all on its own. The same as that if cats are around your chickens, cats are, we have cats that go around the chickens, but they don't, they don't kill the chickens, but they go into the chicken yard. They're mostly looking for scraps, and they'll be in the chicken yard, so those chickens are exposed to those cats. And so that, that little protein that cats make that people are allergic to, the, the way to overcome that is your body has to produce a protein that attaches itself to that protein when it gets into your body. 
and prevents you from having that allergic reaction. But maybe your body's not good at producing that protein, but chickens are. And so the chicken produces that protein. That protein shows up in the yolk of an egg. You either put that egg yolk on the cat's food where he will be exposed to that protein that attaches to the protein that you're allergic to. Or you eat the egg. And then your body is got the protein in it that attaches to that. And when it's attached to it, it nullifies it. All that's going on. And, and a, a million more operations are going on in your body all the time. And that's where you get your immunity. Now, there's a lot of things that you can do to help that immunity along, right? Nutrition and all those things. How do you know what is the right nutrition? People, people, somebody was telling me, probiotics. Take probiotics. Well, yeah, it's, that, that could be. But, you know, every time you take a deep breath, you're taking probiotics. Because you're breathing in probiotics. So, how do you know what probiotic to buy in the store? Because I've heard tell that 90% of the probiotics they sell in the store are useless. Won't do any good. And then what should you eat at the same time you take the probiotics? It's very complicated. You can't figure it all out. But you don't have to figure it all out. Yeah, The Holy Spirit knows. The same Holy Spirit that was the divine creator, divine designer for mankind can design your life every day. But right now, the world is getting you away from that design. And and we see it on the fast track to get you away from that design. We see it, you know, they they don't even know if they're men and women anymore. And, and they think that, you know, that the only way to have social welfare is to tax the rich. Even though if you tax all the money of the top ten rich people in the United States, you took all their money away. All you would do is crash your economy. You'd be out of money in no time. They they simply do not understand how it works. But where you don't need to know everything. Because some of you are really smart and could probably run a big, complicated business. You know, maybe program computers or or uh, something. I'm trying to think. You know, be a brain surgeon. <laughs> You know, you know, or a bone surgeon. Somebody gets you know run over by a truck. You can put them all back together again. You, you may be really smart and skillful in doing that. Others of you are not going to be. But it's like the widow's might. Every one of you that begin to come together in the spirit of Christ will be a light unto the world. And, and when your congregation comes together and they come into a room, the, there will be a power that comes in with you that will make a difference. But you have to think differently. And that's what we've been telling you. That's what Matthew's going to be telling We're going to see more and more of that. And th- that's what we need. That's the awakening we need. Well, I do mention FDR... And LBJ created a system of social welfare in the tradition of the Corbin of the Pharisees that degenerates the social bonds of society. 
I did talk about the law includes the Ten Commandments, which hinge upon two commandments. The statutes of Moses were his descriptions of the application of the basic laws. They are literally precedent, what they used to call precedent when we practiced common law in this country. Even my dad, when he first became a lawyer, he would be looking up the precedents in cases because there wasn't that many statutes, although there's lots now. And they would say, well, how did this jury decide? How did that jury decide? Well, that's when the juries were deciding facts and law. We've got past programs on that. Or you can go learn about that. But the most important thing to do is start to gathering in this tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you can start to to fulfill the law on a little basis. And, and God will... You know, if you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto you. His whole talk about, you know, and that's what I was going to also say. I'll make a note here on the Leviticus 14, if you read that. You see all this complex stuff. And, and you know, the, you know, you take two birds and you put the blood of the one bird into the water. And then you do this. What are you doing with this bird? And what... And then what is the cedar wood and what is this color? Well, some of it is lost in translation. So you have no clue of what he's doing. But there was an actual scientific process that was the secrets. And these were the keys to it. Once you understood the multiple meanings of words, is what you could do to fight some of these things, you know, when they're talking about a mole showing up. I mean, many of the things make huge amount of sense that they didn't even understand in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. You know, like, you know, the, washing your hands before you handle open wounds and, and cleaning wounds out. I mean, the Romans had wonderful ideas about cleaning wounds out and and sewing them up with silver staples. Well, they're starting to do that now. The Romans knew all about that. Applying vitamin D to a wound well, they didn't buy it in the store, but they knew where they could get large amounts of vitamin D. They they understood coagulants to, you know, if they were having trouble clotting blood on a wound because it was a big gaping wound, they would clean it out and staple it together. I mean, the whole reason that the Greeks were fighting naked is that if you got stabbed through soiled garments, you're more likely to get an infection. Well, heck, Master Commander movie. The guy got a bullet into his stomach. And they had to get the bullet out. But they also had to get, there was a hole punched through his shirt by the bullet that took the cloth into his skin. You know, inside of his stomach. They knew they had to get that piece of cloth out too. Because he might be able to fight off some of the germs that got into the wound. You know, they might put alcohol on it or clean it out or whatever. But they knew they had to get that cloth out or it would fester. Now, I know of people who still got, you know, parts of bullets in them and they never got it out. And uh, they've lived with it. But it's sterile. And, uh, you know, I know a guy who has a BB from a BB gun still stuck right next to his eyeball. Another guy has a BB I think he, I don't think he ever got it out. A BB from a shotgun. Still stuck right next to his eyeball. (laughs) 
under the skin. And, and you can feel, I know you can feel the little BB in the one guy's, uh, but I don't know if the other guy got it out, uh, but I, th- I think he didn't. But, so you can do some of that, but they understood, they understood, Moses had a remarkable knowledge of, you know, if, if somebody who has a seeping wound, a sore, sits in a place, you can't sit there till they clean that up. You have to clean his garments up. You have to wash them. They understood that because you could contaminate. They understood that, you know, eating pork and uh, mixing pork and waterfowl, growing them together was a bad thing. Well, all your flus come from the fact that they do that in northern China, most all of them, except now they're actually manufacturing. <laughs> but immunity... It can come from nature. God is working with us all the time. And the more you are the light of the world, the more you come together with the light of the world, now we still have to go out amongst other people. The more this process of immunity can fundamentally protect you. And right now, there are those who understand how this works. I'm not talking about Klaus Schwab, but the people that Klaus Schwab is working for are planning plagues for us humans to wipe out the population of humans. And and they're using equipment and they're using science and they're and they would like to see us all gone. But God would like to see us all prosper. So how do we get the blessings of God's prosperity? We have to desire to see other people prosper. So we have to take care of others as if they are ourselves. Not because they deserve it, because they probably don't. We don't deserve it. But we have to do it to open up the floodgates of God's righteousness and His Holy Spirit. To put that lamp, that candle, on a lampstand. Not under a bushel basket. And so that's what Matthew's telling us. That's what we have to do. And that's what this particular chapter is all about. And uh, so thank you everybody for coming. God bless you. May peace be upon your house. And God be with you. And light come unto you and your family. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.